Uh, as a number of you may know, years ago I did an electrical apprenticeship. Uh, and you know that uh, an apprentice is always working with a tradesman. Uh, and the tradesman's job is to hand the trade on to the apprentice, to, to teach the apprentice how to do things the right way to be safe but fast and, and to pr produce quality work. And so my tradesman would show me how to do a job and then he'd send me off to do it. If I had a question, I could just ask. And if I made a mistake, uh, I could just go to him and, and my tradesman would sort it out. I actually wasn't responsible for the work that I did. And so if I did make a mistake, well, <laughs> doesn't matter. It's not my responsibility. When I was qualified, though, all of that changed. Uh, I felt like all of a sudden I was just on my own. Uh, I was now responsible for my work. If I made a mistake, there was no more security blanket. My tradesman wasn't there to make it all okay. I had to figure it out for myself. So when I was working in a fire stairwell early one uh, morning in a semi-conscious state, having not yet had my Mars bar for breakfast, as I did in those days, I, I tried to open a door with a plastic key. Uh, it was meant to go into the white break glass box, the security box that had been turned off, except I put it into the red break glass box. As you might imagine, the fire alarm went off, and you might think that's no big deal. You just reset that thing. Uh, it was a big deal. I had to explain why 5,000 public servants had just been evacuated from the building. I had to ride the elevator down from level five, the packed elevator, and try not to participate in the conversation. I, I wonder what set the alarm off. I had to front up to the fire warden and say, I'm sorry, that was me. And as two fire trucks came screaming in, I had to ride the elevator back up to level five with the head firefighter and show him exactly what I had done. I felt alone. I felt inadequate. I was only just qualified. Would my boss sack me? Would I get fined for the fire trucks turning up? When I first became a tradesman, I felt alone, inadequate, I felt ill-equipped, and to be honest, whenever that pager went off or whenever I was driving to a new job, I was plain scared, wondering, what's this one going to be? But that feeling of inadequacy and being alone, it, it doesn't just come when we start a new job or when for some reason we're thrown out of our comfort zone. It can actually be our experience of life as Christians as we battle with our sin. It's hard. It can feel like too much and we can feel inadequate to change. As we try and answer that question of who am I as it comes up in life, we can wrongly invest our worth in something aside from God, a job or relationship, and that can mean we don't feel good enough, especially when that job or that relationship isn't going so well. And sure, we know that 
God speaks of this justification by faith, that we're, we're right with him because of Jesus' work, but even knowing that at times, we can look at ourselves instead of Jesus and think we don't measure up. We can worry about the future thinking that God might reject us. This afternoon, as we focus on Romans 8, 5 to 27, there's a whole lot here, but we're really looking at God the Holy Spirit, aren't we? The third member of the Trinity. And so before we get into Romans, just listen to what the Apostle Peter said to the crowds when the Holy Spirit came that first time at at Pentecost. He makes that that great speech, and then at the end in Acts 2.38, he says, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There are promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. The gift of God the Holy Spirit is for all those who believe, for you and for me, for everyone who has put their trust in Jesus. But what does that look like for us in life, day-to-day life? What does having God the Holy Spirit mean for the Christian? Well, in verses 5 to 13, Paul compares two kinds of people. that There are those who have the Spirit and those who do not. And here Paul shows that the Christian can say that God the Spirit leads my life. Just have a look at the second half of verse 6 with me. I'll read, The mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Christians, Spirit-filled people, have moved from spiritual death to spiritual life. God's rightful anger against our sin has been turned aside and so we have peace with God, life and peace. They are people, we are people, who are led by, live in accordance with and in a very real sense are controlled by God the Holy Spirit himself. In contrast, those led by the sinful nature, you see verse 6, for them it means death. Verse 7, hostility towards God. Verse 8, these people, they cannot please God. And perhaps after hearing that description, you may think, well, you're controlled by the sinful nature. And that may be the case. But you may also feel that way if you're really struggling with sin at the moment. In verse 9, Paul Paul goes on and he moves from talking generally about those led by the sinful nature and those led by the Spirit, and he directly addresses the Christians, the believers in Rome, and he makes it very clear which they are. You see this? He says, You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. If you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Christ. Whether you feel it or not, if you've put your trust in Jesus, 
as we saw in Acts 2.38, then you have the Spirit and you can say, I am a Spirit-led person. See, there's no in-between here. It's a case of one or the other. If, you, if your trust is in Christ, then you are a Spirit-filled person. Paul continues his description, verse 10, the Spirit-filled people have dead bodies because of sin, but they are alive because of righteousness. What what does he mean? Well, look at verse 11. I'll read there. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to you to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. In spirit, the Christian person has already been raised from death to life. To have the Holy Spirit means life. But now there is a sense in which our bodies are subject to decay one day, as we'll see later in verse 23, our bodies will be given life in the fullest sense, through the same Spirit who is living in us now. So we have life in the Spirit, yes. This does not mean that our battle with sin now is easy, though, does it? We do fail at times. Our sinful nature is still a a powerful force. But we are no longer inadequate to change for Christians a spirit-led people. In verses 12 and 13, Paul shows us that we've got an obligation, but it's not to the old sinful nature. I remember listening to a bloke talk about addiction, uh, particularly with reference to pornography. Uh, but, but speaking broadly about addiction, he, he said that the thing about addiction is that it promises much, but it never comes through. Each time you fall into it, the addiction takes more than it gives. It never fully satisfies, but gives you just enough to think next time it'll make all the difference. And this is what the sinful nature does. Sin promises much, but it never comes through. And so you don't go back. You don't go back to a house that you've sold. It's no longer yours. You don't buy your old car back from the wreckers. It's a wreck. Sin promises much, but never delivers. Don't go back. Christians are spirit-led people. Don't go back. And you might be thinking, oh, I know I'm a spirit-led person. According to the text, I trust in Jesus. But it's not that great. I don't feel on fire for God at the moment or particularly close to him? Well, that could be the case for a couple of reasons. I'd love to chat to you about that. One being you may just be, well, you may not really be battling with sin. You might just be wallowing in it uh, like a, a pig in the mud. When we linger in our sin, when we don't want to do business with God, God, I'm not going to wrestle with this with you. When we're lazy about living for God, our spiritual life suffers. What does it mean for you to have God the Holy Spirit living in you? It means you're not alone in your battle with sin. It means you are not inadequate 
to change, but you've been equipped as you are led by God the Holy Spirit himself. I'm an electrician. I'm a tradie, at least I'm not anymore, thankfully. But, but what's the stereotype for a tradie? If you call me up and ask me to come and do some work for you at your house, I may never appear. Now, I might say that I'm on my way and I may even make a time, but it's possible you'll never hear from me again. And when I come, if I do come, I'll be late or really early and I'll leave a mess and I'll probably overcharge you. It's a pretty terrible stereotype, isn't it? I think it's interesting how we can often define ourselves by our job, by what we do, or even by the perception that we think others have of us. At times, I used to struggle with having that identity of being a tradie. I was living in Canberra, a white-collar town, and I had a blue collar. Uh, For some reason, I felt lesser and inferior. Sometimes I struggle with the uh, identity of being a pastor. A friend of mine had his identity wrapped up in the relationship that he had with his girlfriend. They broke up. His world collapsed. It's a common story, isn't it? It can be so easy to find our identity in something aside from God. And the fact is, whenever we try and find our worth, our security, our identity in anything other than God, it is unreliable. We've seen that this year with COVID, health and wealth, unreliable. And it is second rate. What does it mean for you to have God the Holy Spirit living in you? Well, from verses 14 to 17, the Spirit makes you a son, a child, an heir. Verse 14, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Verse 15, you receive the Spirit of sonship, adoption, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. You see, you can have a comfortable lifestyle. You can have a happy family, a successful children, a respectable job, a hassle-free retirement. But all of this is completely insignificant when compared to being a child of God. God is our Father. And he's not an absent or harsh dad. He's not abusive or short-tempered. But he is everything that a dad should be. Compassionate, kind, gentle, trustworthy, accessible, abounding in love and faithfulness. And as many of you know, in the first century in in Rome, it was common for someone who who didn't have a descendant to adopt a son. That the son would be adopted for the purpose of receiving an inheritance. The adopted son would receive the inheritance in order to continue on the family name. This is us. We've been adopted and given the full rights, the full rights of children of God. 
Adopted for what purpose? The purpose of receiving an inheritance. Look at verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. As God's children, we look forward to a full inheritance. And that adoption means not only is Jesus my saviour, my master, but he's also my brother. And you preach that famous uh, quote from J.I. Packer that you read in Knowing God to Yourself. Do I as a Christian understand myself? Do I know my own real identity, my own real destiny? I am a child of God. God is my father. Heaven is my home. Every day is one day nearer. My saviour is my brother. Every Christian is my brother or sister too. What does it mean for you to have God the Holy Spirit living in you? It means you have a new identity, child of God. An identity that is completely secure. It cannot be taken away. An identity that gives you access to the Father on the most intimate terms. We call him Dad. An identity that gives you the full rights of a child you look forward to an inheritance. I reckon I know a little bit about childbirth now. Uh, Well, there was Jack, and then there was Clancy, and Daisy, and Fred. Uh, Labour is full on. Uh, And they talk about how hard it is for for the woman Uh, And it is hard, of course. But I reckon it's pretty hard on the bloke too. Uh, Jen just kept charging on every time, and every time I thought I was going to die. (laughs) The labour pains, though, and the the whole childbirth thing, it's a looking forward, isn't it? A mother knows that she's going to endure this inexpressible pain, but there'll be rejoicing at the end of it. There'll be a newborn baby. That's what Paul's talking about in verses 18 to 25. Just listen to verse 24 and 25. Uh, For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. It's good to remember that this is a certain hope. It's a solid hope. And so Christians, we're anticipatory people. We look forward. What does it mean for you to have God the Holy Spirit living in you? It means the spiritual life now is one of groaning. It means we look forward to that day when we will know the fullness of the status that we already have that of being children of God, it means suffering now, glory later. And it is good to recognise the reality of life. The Christian life is the good life. It is the best life. But the reality for here and now is not just smooth sailing. The reality is we have the first fruits We have God the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, God himself living in us. But we still await full restoration. 
And so our experience here and now does involve weakness. And while that is true, the Apostle Paul finishes this section with with a great encouragement. What does it mean for you to have God the Holy Spirit living in you? The Spirit is my helper in prayer. See verse 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. God the Holy Spirit helping us in our weakness. And it's unclear exactly what the weakness uh, that is being talked about here is, though it would seem not a moral weakness, uh, but a weakness of ignorance. Uh, A weakness of ignorance because often we're just not sure what to pray. God the Holy Spirit helps us in prayer. And if you look at the second half of verse 27, he he prays for us in accordance with God's will. It can be so hard to know what to pray in any and every situation, can't it? Sometimes I have just absolutely no idea what to, to pray. But the Spirit knows. He knows the will of God. He is God. And he prays for us. What a great encouragement. Now, I don't know if you know this, but we have a number of churches across uh, Queensland that pray for us. Other Presbyterian churches uh, across Queensland pray for us that we might be growing up in Jesus together uh, and that God would be adding new believers to our number. Uh, We have friends and family that know some of you by name and pray for you. Uh, I find that really encouraging, knowing that people pray for us. We had Dan preaching last week. He prays for you. We had Mark preaching the other week. He prays for us. But if it's encouraging having our brothers and sisters in Christ praying for us, and it really is, how much greater an encouragement must it be that God, the Holy Spirit himself, is praying for us? What does it mean for you to have the Holy Spirit living in you? He's our helper in prayer. In our weakness, we don't know what to pray. God the Spirit knows he prays for us. Now, I recognise there's a whole lot of content in that section. But this is what I want us to walk down that path this afternoon with. As Christians, we're not simply justified, declared right with God, and then left to get on with the Christian walk on our own. Instead, we have God the Holy Spirit leading us in our battle with sin. We have God the Holy Spirit who makes our identity known to us, child of God. With the help of God the Holy Spirit, we look to the, to the future inheritance. And in our weakness, we don't know what to pray. He prays for us. They're wonderful truths, aren't they? Wonderful truths. And so I wonder if this year might you make Romans 8 a dear friend. It's time to get on with this Christian life, isn't it? 
2021, it's time to get stuck into living for Jesus, led by the Spirit, knowing we're not alone, but fully equipped. Let's pray, hey? Heavenly Father, we bow before you and we praise you. For you are a God who doesn't leave us alone, inadequate, or ill-equipped. But you are a God who supplies us with our every need. Heavenly Father, this afternoon we pray that you would forgive us. Forgive us for thinking that we can't grow in you. Forgive us for thinking that we can't enjoy you. Forgive us, Lord, for not doing business with you and for ignoring you in lots of different ways. Lord, we thank you for this great reminder that you lead us in our battle with sin, that you remind us we're yours, that you point us to the future inheritance and you pray for us in our weakness. Lord, help us leave this place with a sense of your nearness and strength. Help us leave this place knowing, Lord, that you are at work in us, whether we feel it or not, that we can grow up together in you for your glory because you have given us all we need. We want to thank and praise you for these things and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.